Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast for Proper 19. We are concluding the series, The Church God Wants, today uh, with one final Sunday. We've been asking not just what do people want in a church, though that can be an appropriate question and a necessary question to ask sometimes, but something even more important, what does God want in a church? And then we've been listening to his answers as he's spoken to us through his scriptures in these selections from Proper's 15 through 19 in year A. I'm John Mitchell, your moderator from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. Uh, our preachers for this series, and we thank them for serving these last several weeks, Pastor Daniel Bondo from Living Savior in Littleton, Colorado, and Pastor Jeremy Belter from Shepherd of the Valley, the Candelis campus in Arvada, Colorado. Also with us today is Professor Bill Tackmeyer from the seminary. So thank you all for serving. Uh, Jeremy Belter, we're at Proper 19. What's the main thought you want worshipers to be thinking about this Sunday, the final Sunday in our series? Uh, yeah, thank you. As as we wrap up the series, um, we we get to learn about forgiveness. Um, the, the church that God wants is a church that forgives as God forgives. And so today we're going to look at the Joseph narrative. We're going to look at the very end, the, la the last times that Joseph is interacting with his brothers. And um, we're going to be faced with all the history of that, um, all the emotion that went, that all these years of, of um, the hardship that Joseph went through, his brothers put him through. And now here's Joseph standing in front of his brothers and they are begging him um, to treat us, treat us well, um, forgive us and so on. And, and so th there's a, you know, the opportunity for us as individual Christians to, to think through those times where we are standing in front of someone who has hurt us. And why is it that God calls us to forgive? Why is it that we can forgive? Um, it goes back to the mercy of God. And that's the one thing we can't mm -hmm. forget about. And we cannot um, under, under, not underappreciate. We can't speak little about this Sunday because in order to be able to forgive as God asks us to forgive, we have to know how deeply God has mercied us, how we do not, we do not get what we deserve um, from, from the endless compassion of God. And so to keep that in mind as the, the impetus, the motivator to be able to forgive as, as God forgives. Yeah, thanks for a great sermon. So receiving forgiveness and then giving forgiveness as God has given it to us. Well, Daniel Bondo, talk to us a little bit about the gospel and the second reading for today before we get into the first reading as our text. Thank you. Yeah, today's, uh, well, this week's gospel um, in Matthew 18 picks up where we left off from last week in the series. So we're in the same chapter where we had dealing with your you know, brother or sister who sins against you. And this is the well-known section that follows where Peter begins by saying, hey, Jesus, how many times should I do that? And instead of seven times, Jesus says 77. And he begins in our hearts with, a, with this parable uh, addressing uh, the debts owed to a king with such an immeasurable almost like incomprehensible debt owed to the king. And if you follow along carefully, you're noting that the king ends up not doing what is fair and not doing what is just, not giving him more time or, you know, changing um, any other circumstances so he can like work it off eventually. He does the almost unthinkable. He cancels the debt and lets him go. And that 
that is precisely the reason why there's a scandal that's left in the rest of the parable. It becomes the great offense to the king's mercy that the unmerciful servant then pins somebody who owes him this fraction um, of an amount by comparison. He pins that debt to him and demands that he pay it back. So Jesus uses this in such a profound way to speak to our hearts first about this incomprehensible mercy of God that really relates to us and how that is meant to drive and follow through in the way that we set people free from their debts in our own hearts. In fact, it's that great mercy of God um, that drives the great warning from Jesus, you know, if uh, that, that finishes this section, um, if as the king finishes in the parable by uh, throwing the unmerciful servant to the jailers. This is how my father will treat each of you if you don't forgive your brother from your heart. The second reading is in Ephesians chapter 4, and the Apostle Paul has been working on believers' hearts to make a match between the calling they have from God in the gospel by his grace and the life that they live. So as they live lives worthy of the calling that they have, think of the start of chapter 4, um, the Apostle Paul urges them to be imitators of God. And I think one of the great values of this section is to recognize the restraint, I guess you could say, the way the fruits of the Spirit work in this section is, is what I don't give you because uh, of what God doesn't do, how I don't treat you as you deserve. Um, don't do this and don't say that. Uh, the way Paul expresses compassion and kindness often involving what you don't treat, how you don't treat a person um, as you respond by imitating God's forgiveness and forgiving others. Thank you for that summary. Yeah, this is uh, the gospel. I always think of as Jesus' most terrifying parable uh, with the way it ends so dramatically, um, but, you know, more that it points out our just stubborn unwillingness to forgive, even in light of God's amazing forgiveness. And that gets us into our text for the day, uh, thinking about the relationship between the mercy of God and his forgiving us and how we then have the opportunity to forgive others. So let's talk about Genesis 15, 15, 50, 15 through 21. Bill Tackmeyer, could you just share a few thoughts about these verses to get our discussion started? Sure. Um, this, of course, comes at the end of the Joseph narrative. It's kind of surprising that Joseph has to deal with this at this point. He's already welcomed his family down to Egypt. He's taken care of them so well, given them good land. Um, and now when the father dies, it seems like the brothers are still bearing some guilt or they're thinking that Joseph still has something against them. And it's uh, the text is really a good one that I think preachers uh, would do well to bring out the power of guilt. Uh, you know, Joseph is just heartbroken that they still think that he's mm. uh, holding a grudge against them, that he weeps uh, when they send this what seems to be a falsified message from their father uh, so that, you know, that this will move J Joseph uh, to forgive them. And then he exemplifies uh, forgiveness as such a liberating force. 
from the, you know, the burden that uh, guilt can have on the human soul and what a liberating thing um, forgiveness is. It's really interesting in the Hebrew that the word for forgive really is the normal Hebrew word for lifting or carrying, nasa. Hmm. You know, it's removing that load of guilt. And that's exactly what he does um, by just so unconditionally um, showing them through his tears, through his words that you are forgiven. Yeah, the elements uh, that just um, that are are confusing in the narrative. I think you you brought them out well, Bill. Uh, why um, why is this happening? Hadn't they been through this already? Yeah, it's over. It's done with, guys. Um, you know, okay, it's water under the bridge. But uh, could it maybe be at the death of Joseph? They have this uh, nagging guilt. Maybe it was all a show uh, for dad's sake. Um, and maybe now that he's gone, Joseph is going to bring the hammer down. And uh, right, was this all a ploy to destroy us and our families? Uh, and right, and, and yeah, right, it does show the, the power of guilt in their lives to kind of control their thoughts. Um, that, uh, that Joseph is able to lift that burden is really uh, startling here. Uh, in a beautiful way. Um, one thing I, I wanted to talk about with you all uh, before we get uh, into the kind of the nuts and bolts of the text is uh, this happens a couple times throughout the lectionary where we are given a part of an Old Testament narrative to preach, and it's often the end of the story or a little selection from the end of the story. This happens in other places like um, you hear uh, Noah sacrificing the altar after the flood is over, and uh, that's the the pericope reading, um, or uh, Jacob wrestling with God in prayer, you know, which comes kind of at the end of his story. Uh, and here again, we have the Joseph story, but it's the very end of it, or almost the very end. And so how do you go about preaching that? Um, do you recap the rest of the story uh, for people? Um and I wanted your perspectives on that or how you've gone about it. Um, uh, Daniel, let's start with you. What What is one way to approach that? I think we'd all agree that you can't not do something with mm -hmm. the, with the right. past chapters as a review. And maybe one thing to highlight as you've gone through your text study on this section and see these verses in front of you, all of that history is in the text. It's textual to, in a sense, bring this up. It's mm. there for mm. the brothers. It's history that's still on their minds because they use these words they make up from Jacob. You know, we treated you so badly. And it's there for Joseph. Um, so all of that, you could say, is that's locked in mostly with chapter 37. Um, but it also comes out of Joseph's mouth as he talks about what God did with it. So there you also right. have a textual open door to say, well, what is he talking about? You know, he's what is he recognizing God did in the saving of many lives? I'm going to have to let's see what Joseph is celebrating about what God did. So obviously we're not going to say nothing about the past, but you do have very legitimate ways and phrases out of the text to dive in um, with your review or summary, whatever you end up doing. Yeah, that's a good point. Those little 
uh, clues in this text that uh, point backward to some earlier part in the story or several earlier parts. Uh, Jeremy, your thoughts on this? Um, and I'm, I'm curious, especially since um, you're in a, a mission setting, um, how you go about uh, preaching biblical narratives like this or the end of a narrative. Um, yeah, yeah. The uh, it, it presents a neat opportunity, I think, to to lead. You know, in your congregation, you're going to have a variety of people, and in our context, my context, I have any number of people that have very little biblical literacy background. Um, and I also don't want to assume that even those that have maybe been a you know a Wells member all their life or mm-hmm. this that or the other thing that they they remember all the big high points of the Joseph story or other you know, biblical narratives. So I think it's a really neat right. to, to Daniel's point, a neat opportunity to take people back and hit those really high points that would directly, I think, directly affect or um, interact with your, intersect with the theme that you're trying to bring through in this particular portion of the narrative. So to Daniel's point, you know, we're going back to the the dreams and how Joseph and the brothers interacted. And then we jump back to the present. And then we go back with, he was sold into slavery and what all happened there. So you get an opportunity to hit the high points. And I definitely wouldn't miss the opportunity, um, but, but, but take those moments. And then if you can encourage people to now, I want you to read this whole thing. I want you to, to, to dive headfirst into it. And so maybe this is the impetus then um, to have a Bible study. Hey, we're going to, you know, you, you look ahead far enough in the pericope. So you say, we're going to have this Genesis narrative. So maybe leading up to, or right after they say, Hey, we're going to have a Bible study that is on the narrative on the Joseph narrative and to see all the many details and dive into it that way. Mm-hmm. But use it you know, as an opportunity to hit some of the big high points from that story to get people to, okay, now I can begin to sense and feel the guilt that the brothers have. And then also, the you know, it's going through Joseph's mind. If you are in that circumstance, you're faced with the choice if God's not in control of your heart, right? I mean, the choice of, I, I can get these guys now. I'm standing in this mm-hmm. position of authority, or this is my opportunity for, for mercy um, to have people live in both of those, both sets of shoes, you know, to get, get them through some of those high points to see how did we get here into this circumstance and why is it so tough for, to, for Joseph to do what he did? Why does he need God's love and mercy in his heart to be able to do that? Right. Uh, I look back at a time I, I preached this text and I, I think I did kind of at the beginning of the sermon, just uh, summarize some of the points in the, the Joseph story to bring people up to speed and, uh, kind of started it out by, you know, picturing um, the situation that some people dream about finally turning the tables on people who have hurt you or wronged you. And this is where Joseph is, you know, and uh, let me tell you a little bit about it and kind of, yeah, really in a fast forward way. And I remember writing this section, you have to kind of be a disciplined editor of your own stuff because, you know, I'll just write everything about the Joseph story. Well, that that you might have that kind of time, you might not. So you might have to go back and kind of be selective and and then try to you know bring out some of the drama. Um, so I, I tried to do that just to get him back to this point where you, you can see the dilemma. Yeah, as you said, Jeremy, he could go one of two ways here. Uh, he could, he's got all the power Joseph does to exact revenge, or there's this other way. Um, and uh, that's the beauty of the gospel that you can see in action there. Um, so uh, let's kind of talk about the the typical points we often do. Um, the the malady or the the sin or Satan caused problem in this text. Um, would you 
go to something like uh, holding grudges, uh, not letting go, the, the bitterness that's there, or Bill mentioned uh, the power of guilt uh, seen in different ways. How would you approach that in this text? Or what do you highlight? Daniel? Uh, however you say it, I think you can see two sides of a coin because you have this ongoing like threat of a revenge uh, from the perspective of a wrongdoer you know i've harmed somebody and it's sort of like a built into our you know psychology and our interaction with other people that now i have accrued a debt to you you know and, and do i ever satisfy that debt and what needs to be done to satisfy that debt so we get used to this language um, where you could you could say to yourself, well, maybe their revenge is just taking a nap and it's not real serious. There's this great um, a great need for someone to be reassured and reassured and reassured. Uh, and how do I do that in a satisfactory way? But there's also the flip side of the coin is how you know we don't nobody has forgotten anything here in Genesis 50, right? And even the even the wronged one. Joseph hasn't forgotten. Um, it's not a matter of forgetting, but sometimes isn't the sin where um, just because I'm forgiving it today, I, I'm not forgetting it. And there may be a different circumstance tomorrow that triggers that memory and makes it all fresh. And then it all comes out. Right. Yeah. So on right. both the side of like the wrongdoer lives with this sort of state of panic and it may it may need to be readdressed but there's also the temptation of course that's in focus for us today is to how do we deal with the fact that we won't we can't forget this we have to continue to insist on letting it go um you know sending it away so to speak mm -hmm. it's an important point i found when teaching about forgiveness too that it, it's uh, sometimes there is kind of a turning point moment when you let things go, but I kind of warn people too: don't be surprised when the, all the emotion comes back, as you said, Daniel. Something you know, something triggers that um, the memories. So, uh, other thoughts about uh, dealing with that, Jeremy? Maybe from Joseph's perspective, um, it's very easy for us to. So when we remember, we 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 do a very good job of keeping score. And mm -hmm. you did this, you did this, you did this. And and then when that person finally comes around, maybe, and now they're they're apologizing. I, I remember a couple of situations I've you know counseling with with people and like he's I, I know he's not sorry. I, I know that he really doesn't care and so on. And you have to I mean you look at this situation, you know, did Joseph's brothers really repent? I mean, were they really like apologetic? I mean, they're throwing this phrase out this probably a falsified statement, um, like Bill said, that well, Jacob told us to tell you that, you know, God's supposed to, you're supposed to forgive us because we're God's servants. Is that a cry of repentance? I don't I mean, it's not a perfect cry of repentance. And so if you're standing there in the position of Joseph, like, I'm not going to forgive you until you are truly sorry, until you really feel, until you really understand what I went through and you're going to feel it. And then when I, when I'm satisfied, then maybe I will forgive um, and you're going to hear that later when Joseph is response, right? Am I in the place of God? And, and that, oh, I'm not in the place of God. Mm -hmm. I, and if, you know, thank God, I'm not in the place of God, but that keeping track of score, right? Uh, keeping score and keeping track of the wrongs and so on, or the, the incomplete apology or so on is a reason I won't forgive. I can't forgive until that happens. 
um, I, I think people can really say, yep, that's, that, that's where I've been several times. Right. Right. Good thoughts. Uh, Bill, anything to, to add to that or dealing with the malady? Uh, I think Jeremy covered a lot of what I was going to say, um, but uh, maybe just um, the malady of mistrust of, you know, brothers, you know, Joseph has shown them what a, he, he's such a noble character in the whole 37 through 50. I mean, you hardly ever see him do a misstep. And uh, why, why do I assume the worst of somebody who's kind and good, you know, that that's a malady in my old Adam that I just, I just don't want to trust others. Mm -hmm. And maybe, maybe it says something about um, if I were in their place, I, I wouldn't forgive, you know, so why should I believe that they're actually, you know, so maybe wrestling with those type of thoughts too. Uh, the brothers may have been doing that. Uh, Daniel. When we think about things that are like personal or touchy subjects for us, um, this, the whole aspect of holding a grudge is dealing with me and my identity. It's this completely, you know, selfish orientation towards what happens to me in my life and where I keep track of wrongs and harms that are, are done to me. So there's an orientation there to my life. What's personal to me that is completely off when it comes to, well, you know, getting to the gospel, this great personal touchy way that God has applied his forgiveness to my life, you know, as a, as an opposite to that. So, and one of the things that jumps out at me a little bit is the real trigger for this isn't um, now we're scared of Joseph because he has all this power, but now we have this fear because dad died. And it, it goes back to this Jacob and Joseph thing where the whole story of, you know, their jealousy and envy of Joseph, you know, was bred and, and came about. And it's so interesting that this, that's this, you know, personal touchy thing. When I see Joseph weep, I wonder if, if in some way he may also, you know, be recognizing how he was some of a role player in this, you know, when he's sharing his dreams and he's wearing the coat and he and his dad are mm -hmm. sort of on one side and my brothers, they're so wicked and they're so off and they don't care about the promise. They don't seem to care about God. They're so far away from where we are, dad, you know, and they're just this two like opposites, the way we're introduced to all these characters and um but that personal touchy stuff what happened to all of it you know that now joseph lives in an entirely different sphere of who god is and what god is up to and that's such a different that's such a great way to maybe contrast the two positions and perspectives when you want to deal with the temptation we have mm, yeah yeah the transformation in joseph is really striking beginning to end jeremy and I just maybe add to that, um, you, from the brothers' perspective, you know, they, they know, they remember all, they remember, remember the love that Jacob showed to Joseph, the preferential treatment. And so, in a in a really, I'm not maybe twisted way, but just think like, does, does Jacob's love still have such a, does it have such a great control over Joseph's heart, even though he is dead, right? Is it such who does Jacob's love control Joseph's heart to such an extent that we can use that to our own benefit? And then to think of that from Joseph's perspective, my own heart, who has control of my heart? 
And you find out in this, God has control of Joseph's heart. It's God's providence to Joseph. It's God's mercy and grace to Joseph. It's the promise that God is keeping alive and keep and fulfilling through Joseph and so on. He recognizes that. But as I sit there in my own daily life, who or what has control of my heart? When God has control of your heart, that's going to dictate and drive how you view yourself in these interpersonal relationships. But if, if something else, if you yourself have control of your own heart, if that the love of yourself and your pride has control of your heart, that's going to dictate how you treat the brothers mm-hmm. in, that, in that circumstance. And so it's just that, that misordered love again, it comes right back to the, the first commandment like it always does. But is God's love in control or is it the love of self? Is it my pride that's really going to drive? And that's really what's going to take you down one of two paths in this, this um, determination of forgiveness. Yeah. Great thoughts, Bill. Uh, well, uh, Jeremy's mentioning of heart um, re- reminds me there's something cool in the uh, Hebrew of this text that it ends with Joseph comforting them and right. speaking kindly to them. And it's the, the, the idiom in Hebrew for speaking kindly is, and he spoke to their heart. And uh, a parallel passage I came across one time on this text is that uh, both Nacham, the word for comfort, and then speaking to the heart uh, are the same two phrases used in um, Isaiah chapter 40 with comfort, comfort my people, speak Mm -hmm. tenderly to Jerusalem. You know, Mm -hmm. there's no more beautiful expression of the gospel than that. And it's interesting, you know, that Moses would write it this way in in Genesis. Right, right. Uh, Yeah, the picturesque language there, speaking to the heart. Uh, And maybe that gets us into uh, kind of the gospel, uh, the way the gospel addresses these uh, malady thoughts that we've had. Um, How does uh, this come to control the heart of Joseph, this desire to forgive? Maybe that's an avenue to the gospel. Um, uh, What in his experience, uh, led him to want to forgive instead of to exact revenge. Um, yeah. So thoughts about the, the gospel cure, Daniel. Jeremy already highlighted this phrase, you know, am I in the place of God? And that right there is telling you that he knows God's place period. You know, he knows where God is and he knows what it would be for him to act contrary to that. And for that to be sitting there in his heart is saying his heart is already filled. It's filled with this great movement um, that is the song of the gospel and the forgiveness of his sins. And just like he can he can weep and lament like what this was, he recognizes that he's not immune to sin. He's not necessarily just the innocent party through and through. Um, I don't think you can you can say that about Genesis 37. I think Joseph has some things he could have done differently that's, you know, less um, uh, encouraging for their envy. And yet, uh, so he knows that God throughout these chapters has been doing him an, an act, a great act of mercy, whether um, whether it's uh, selling off into slavery instead of being, you know, just stuck there and left to die. He was able to live longer. And you know all the turnovers of the events, and, and we can remind the people of this too, but Joseph is first and foremost living a story of God's kindness, God's great kindness to him first and foremost. And he says it, I, I know God's place. I know God, what God does. And, um, and then he's 
ready to share that with them. Hmm. So using that phrase, uh, am I in the place of God to kind of uh, yeah. bring in those thoughts there? Good idea. And to uh, J- tie it oh. back to the touchy subject. Sorry, maybe that's a, oh, maybe yeah, that's yeah. a helpful thing. What's his new t- touchy subject, right? The first thing off his mouth, don't be afraid. I'm not in the place of God. This is what's sensitive to me is where God is and how God acts mm. and what he says. You know, that's his new, it's his new touchy subject. Okay. Uh, Jeremy? Yeah, it, Joseph recognizes where he is in the pl- in, in this whole story. He's not the center of it. And and so, you know, maybe at the beginning of the whole Joseph story, when the, 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 the sheaves are bowing down to him and the sun, moon, and stars are bowing down to him, it, it, it's easy from a human perspective to think, I'm, I'm the center of this whole thing. This is all for me. But as he goes through his whole life, that whole experience, sold to slavery, and now he's second in charge of, you know, in second command in Egypt, he realizes, he says it in his own, you know, his own words, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. He doesn't say the glorification of Joseph. He says the saving of many lives. He recognizes that he is a mask or an instrument of God. He's a servant of God in this divine story to preserve this promise from jo- from Jacob to the next generation, to the next, to the next. He is just another piece in this beautiful um, masterpiece, that this beautiful drama that God is putting together. And so now I'm not in the place of God. I'm an instrument of God. And so what does an instrument or servant of God do? He brings the glory of God, the, the forgiveness of God to, to other servants so that they can see he, God is the center of this story. Not mm. me, not you, not Jacob. No, no, he is the center of this. The Messiah is the center of this. And I am just another tool to be able to point you to the one who is in, who is the center of this whole thing. So that the providence of God and then the providence of God lavished through the life of Joseph, preserving this promise through thick and thin, through good and bad. And maybe this is maybe a tie-in you could bring with Romans 8, 28, a classic, all things God works for the good of those who love him. But when you continue on in that section, it's to conform people to the likeness of his son. And so why is God using all these things in our life for our good? Well, it's so that we can be more and more like his son, who is mercy, who is grace, who is pointing people to God. And so that's where Joseph sees himself. That's that's what he re- recognizes. That's who God is for him. And that's who God is for us in our lives, too. Thank you for that. Yeah, Bill. Yeah, and, and building on what both of these guys have said, um, when Joseph uses a phrase like, am I in the place of God? Well, he, he has experienced being the second in command. He, he knows that somebody is above him who has given him the authority uh, to gather the grain and, you know, to solve this coming crisis. And um, so here, too, he's reflecting, you know, well, I'm just, you know, representing God in giving this forgiveness. Right, right. Yeah, again, not yeah, not the center of the story, mm-hmm. but uh, a recipient of the mercy of God himself. Uh, Daniel? Another way to maybe drive this home for people, because we're not going to get anywhere without it, is if we don't establish the the pure joy that our entire existence, our ontology as a church of God in this world, is not one that lives in what is fair. It just doesn't. Um, it, we are out of fair and into God's mercy. And the whole concept of like, if you were to look at... Um, maybe even part of Joseph's story being like a slave or, 
you know, in prison and you kind of think of where he was like physically speaking, but he never lived, he wasn't living that way. He knew he was God's, he knew he was God's child. And so when the brothers come here and they say something very pointed, I think it's really strong that they would say, we are your slaves. This is what they did to Joseph. And it almost sounds like, you know, we're going to make up for it. We're going to use the same word. We're going to do this for you. And we're your slaves, you know, but to say the whole beauty of the church, the whole release of the gospel is to not treat us as the slaves we deserve to be treated as the debtors, right? Those stuck in the prison of our guilt, but as children and and sons uh, and daughters of God. Right, right. Jeremy? And then to add to that, how Joseph, you know, don't be afraid. And then he says, I will provide for you and your children. He reassured them, spoke kindly to them. You, you recognize maybe Joseph, whether intentionally or unintentionally, realizes this may not be the last time we go through this exercise. Mm-hmm. In other words, it may come up again. But what is he going to do? I will provide for you and your children. This is not a, I'm going to give you a blast of love and forgiveness right now. And that's it. He's going to give them kindness over and over and over again, just like what God does for us. He doesn't just tell us at our baptism, I love you. I'm your God. You are my people. I put my name on you. See you at your funeral. No, he continues to come to us through word and sacrament. He continues to reassure us through words of, of absolution. You are forgiven. I love you. You are my child. I mercy you again. Because why? Because we keep going through this song and dance with God, right? We sin. We come back to him. We have all these, I should have, I should have, I, trying to bargain with him like the brothers did. And God comes again, reassuring us over and over again throughout our lifetime that, that we can be at peace. There's no reason to be afraid of him whatsoever. Um, one of the questions we ask with Old Testament texts is, uh, how do we preach Jesus? How do we preach Christ uh, in a, a way that's re- respecting the integrity of the text? This is one I don't know if it's too hard because the whole the whole thing is about forgiveness, right? Um, so uh, I think pointing to Jesus as the uh, the pinnacle of God's forgiving mercy. Um, there we see it. Uh, we're the recipients of it. And then um, I think that leads into the, the sanctification applications, right? Um, uh, emulating Joseph, um, emulating Jesus himself. As you, you put it, Jeremy, con- he's conforming us to the likeness of his son um, as he deals with us throughout our lives in mercy. Um, any, any thoughts on that, uh, either preaching Christ from this text or getting now into the, the applications? Uh, Daniel? If we talk about, which we do, sin as a, as a burden, right, on the shoulders or, or a weight in, and the guilt that we deserve and, and what's being like lifted off, you can see here how Joseph also recognizes and we've communicated the way he's seeking to lift this burden and to like take it away. And I think that that that's a beautiful way to express Christ, of course, as the who, where did this burden ultimately fall? How does he how has he completely fulfilled Isaiah's, you know, taking taking our burden on himself and um, and being that substitute for us that, that he does that it's there in this text because the, the whole comfort, the words and the reassurance, the pain, the weeping of Joseph, there's a great burden of sin that's at work here and its consequences. And Jesus is one who knows that better than anyone else. Jesus is the one who has fully done this for all of 
humanity as the great um, sharer, uh, really taker of of the burden under God of of God's wrath that would set us free. Mm-hmm. Um, additional thoughts on on preaching Christ or getting into the applications of of the text. I know we I think we we've touched on a number of them already, but uh, further thoughts, Jeremy. Yeah, I think the the repetitive nature of like I mentioned a little while ago that um, or you know that Bill and Dan have mentioned too. We're, we're doing this again. I thought we already reassured the brothers and forgave mm-hmm. them and we wept together and we hugged it all out, right? But now we're back at this again. And I think that's something to really bring to light for our people, the idea of maybe, because I think for some, you know, a lot of people, they have this idea of forgive and forget. Pastor, I just can't forget what she did to me. I can't forget what he did for me. And, and, and like you were saying earlier, these things are going to come back up. This history is going to pop at sometimes the weirdest times or some mm-hmm. little trigger and boom, all of it comes rushing back in that flood of emotions. Um, this this forgiveness, confession and absolution is something that in interpersonal relationships might have to probably will go on again and again and again. But guess what? It also goes on again and again and again with us to God. We are always going back to him, mm-hmm. running back to him. Mercy, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And what does he do? It's like, really? Have we, haven't I done this before? Right, do we right. really have to go through it? No, he's a refuge. He's our comfort. He is our, our forgiveness. We run to Christ. His cross is my refuge. Um, and, and, and so leading people to see that this is going to be something that's ongoing. It's forgiveness is something you offer once and that's never again. It's going to happen over and over again. But think of the healing that happens and actually the strength that that gives to relationship um, when you are going through that repentance, uh, over, you know, repentance model again and again, just as we do with God. And so when there is a struggle there to do that, well, we, we go back to the one who continues to mercy us, who when we repent to him, he forgives. And that's where we gain the strength to be able to forgive again and again and again when we can't forget it. Great, Daniel. Maybe another um, shading of the the gospel and Christ communicated here is to pit the the uh, the way that this is so unfair where this ends. The brothers of Joseph are assuming somewhere this is going to hit some at some point. This is going to come out. You know, it's just the way that we work. It's like the the debtor to the king who says, give me some more time or, or whatever, and I'll pay it off. You know, that there's, there's gotta be some fair aspect at play as a, in, built into our nature. And the, the end solution is such a curveball. you know, it was just the, the one we would not assume or presume. Right. And it's, and it is revealed yet by God anyway, who would have thought that in all for all that I deserved that this is, would be where my sins would end up would be a good Friday's cross. That is mm-hmm. such a curveball mm-hmm. for God's solution. And so it is that even what we'd give to people is to have this beautiful thrust of Jesus name stamped all over it is the great unfair, the great out of left field. I, you didn't see this coming and I'm not going to do what's fair to you. I insist the last thing I'll give you is what you deserve. Yeah. 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 Maybe that's a way to frame the uh, sanctification application too is uh, uh, throwing a curveball or yeah giving the unexpected um, forgiveness instead of payback um, right uh, but getting letting the gospel uh, kind of have its way with us um, as we deal with others the way God 
has dealt with us. Um, ideas for uh, themes? What are you thinking about? Um, any potential ideas? Uh, Daniel? One that I had um, that was an attempt to be textual with the word slaves, but maybe you could say debtors also, would be like set free your slaves. So the people that have you know, wronged you or that you, you're keeping this track record, set free your slaves uh, with maybe one part um, forgiving them like God, which I know is, is pretty central to it. But I'm queuing off of what Joseph spends his time talking about in verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish. And that a second part could be, you know, trusting how God rules. So forgiving as God forgives and trusting how God rules. So perhaps you you bring in something about this evil done to me that is always owned and governed and, and ruled by God for the blessing of everybody involved. Joseph is sitting there with that in, in verse 20, and maybe that becomes a good opportunity in the second half of a sermon to talk about that. Mm -hmm. Other uh, possibilities uh, for themes? Jeremy? You could, you know, maybe take the, and I know it's not exactly textual to this one specifically, but the idea of, of blessed to be a blessing. And, and Joseph was blessed in, in order to be in this place to provide for so many people physically. I mean, it, mm -hmm. how many millions of people perhaps, right, are saved because God put Joseph in this position, worked through this evil to bring Joseph here. But he realized also that God didn't just do that for physical salvation. He really also did that for spiritual salvation. I mean, this, the, the family of Jacob, the, the line of the, of the savior was saved because of God's providence, putting Joseph in the spot. And now here he is now in this position to, um, whether it's take revenge or to forgive his brothers, he has been, he recognizes he gets to be a blessing. He gets to point, he gets to save in effect or being the instrument of salvation for his brothers to point them back to the Christ, point them back to the promise point. Who is this God of our father, Jacob? And, and what has he done? Well, look at all this stuff that he did through your sins, through my arrogance, through all the, what all the confusing things have gone on and all to, all to save us, not just now, but for eternity. Um, so maybe there's that idea of recognizing, mm -hmm. you know, with the idea of mercy, what have we been given? So, you know, this, this great mercy from God and now the opportunity to, to show that mercy to people who desperately need it, who are living with guilt, who are living with fear, who are burdened down every single day, wondering when is the hammer going to fall? Is, is my friend, me, is my brother, is my dad, is he going to really get back at me now? Um, and, and they're afraid of your reaction. And now you, wow, I get to offer, I get to lift that burden. Jesus put me in this spot with his grace and mercy in my mm -hmm. life, to be able to share it, to, to be a blessing to them. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I have preached on this text a couple times. I think I've focused uh, times in the theme on uh, kind of living as forgiven people. Um, uh, one theme I used was in the peace of God's forgiveness. Uh, that was in the old hymnal era where, remember, after the absolution, you say in the peace of God, Forgiveness, let us praise the Lord. Well, we streamlined that and took that out of the new hymnal. So you don't have that to refer to, but still, I think it works. Um, living in the peace of God's forgiveness. And then I, some of the points I hit were um, kind of sanctification oriented, but there's an opportunity for clear gospel in each section. Uh, 
let go of grudges, throw away your ammunition, and back up words with actions, just kind of hitting parts of, of what Joseph did. Um, and then the gospel is, well, that's exactly what God has done for us, all of those things. Um, uh, further further thoughts on this text you want to share? Daniel? I haven't fleshed it all out, but I think another idea could be to take Joseph's question, am I in the place of God, and make it a theme. If you Maybe for more mm. inductive, um, inductive sermon, are you in the place of God? Question mark. You know, are you in the place of God? And you know, from from where you start and progressing through the sermon, working on all these uh, key concepts of what's going on in in Joseph's heart and why, as he responds to his brothers, are you in the mm -hmm. place of God? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I th there's probably a lot, both law and gospel angles there, right? Uh, as we mentioned. Mm -hmm. um yeah uh any closing thoughts before we wrap up today okay well then then let's uh close our time together uh daniel and jeremy want to thank you for taking part in these the last several weeks um and uh we've been blessed by your insights bill thank you for your work today and um uh preachers uh revel in god's forgiveness this week and in this dramatic uh but uh just gospel-filled story of Joseph and uh, putting that and God's forgiveness and the opportunity to forgive before your listeners.